All right, well, as you can see from the screen, we are getting back into 2 Corinthians. So we'll, we will begin with a pop quiz. Take out a sheet of paper. Yeah, that's not a thing here. But <clears throat> so here's the questions. Where did we leave off? Who preached last and what was it about? I don't even know why I bother. I have no idea. Sigh. Anyway, all right. So it was just before Easter. Pastor Jared preached the last sermon in 2 Corinthians. He was in the beginning of chapter 3. And maybe you remember this. It was about these letters of recommendation. I don't know if that pings anything for you. If not, again, why do I bother? But, <laughs> but there it is. Anyway, so it, that's what it was about. In at, so it was the very beginning of chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And here's how it ended. It said, Our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And I underline three separate things there because they're contrasts. It talks about a new covenant that implies an old. So there's a contrast between an old and a new covenant. And then there's the contrast. It says not of the letter, but of the spirit. So there's a contrast between letter and spirit. And then what it says is one kills, but the other gives life. So another contrast there. There's three contrasts that Pastor Jared read at the end of that last sermon of his. So what Paul just said is the letter. By the way, the letter means the law. That's all the Old Testament law. So what Paul just said is the Old Testament law kills. And that is a very loaded statement. And now what he needs to do is explain why he said that. And that's what he's going to do in our passage today. But I need to warn you, today's passage is a little bit thick. Uh, And so in order for us to digest it well, you need to have some Old Testament history under your belt. So we're going to dial back in time and talk through some things before we even get to this morning's passage. Humanity uh, had fallen into sin and was way off course. Every last one of us, we were way, way off course. We were wicked. So wicked, I'll jump ahead in history just a little bit. When the Jews were entering the promised land, they were going to dispossess some people that were there. And we hear that and we go, oh, that's so mean. Okay, (laughs) you gotta understand some things about the... So here is Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 31, talking about the people they would dispossess. It says, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Okay, so so again, the point here is humanity was a freaking mess. We're so off course. Every abominable thing was being done. This is when people started to have cats as pets, all right? This is when people started to cheer for the Steelers. It's right there. It's in the passage, right? Yeah, actually, there were bigger ticket items going on, things like incest and murder and rape and abuse. Oh, but they weren't viewed as problems and sins like we view them. It was just good. In fact, you see at the end there, they were burning their children alive in worship to their gods. And then they would brag about it with their neighbors the next day. See, it wasn't a hidden thing. This is good. 
See, we, I mean, we, we were such a mess. And so in the midst of that, what God did is he chose the Jews uniquely as his special people to whom he would reveal himself And then he also told them how they should live. He gave them the letter or he gave them the law, specifically the Ten Commandments. And of course, they were given on two tablets of stone. Oh, side point, probably not in English. But this one is translated so that we can read it. So he gave the Ten Commandments. And in that, he was saying, listen, you're not going to worship God like all the rest of mess up humanity worships God. No, you're going to worship me only. And then he said, and as part of that then, the way you'll live is you're not going to lie. You're not going to steal, not going to murder, no adultery. You're not going to diss your parents and you're not going to covet because once you start coveting stuff, that's when you do the other stuff. And so don't do that. And what he did in that moment then is he invited the Jews to the good life, the kingdom way, the holy life. Remember God saying, be holy because I'm holy. And he's asking the Jews to join him in holiness, the good life. So the Jews got the law of God and it was their pride and joy. And of the Lord, uh, of the law, they would say the law is glorious. We'll talk about that in a second because it's kind of glorious, but not fully. We'll we'll get to that. But speaking of glory, there's something else you need to know to understand today's passage. Uh, So in order to deliver the Ten Commandments, God called Moses to go up a mountain and meet with God. And he met with God in a very unique way in Exodus 34 and 35, such that, excuse me, he saw the glory of God, just the passing glory of God. So when he came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, Moses' face was just beaming, like radiating and shining so much so that it was uncomfortable to look at his face. And so they said, put a bag over your head. No, that's what you say when you're saying, use ugly, put a bag over you. Okay, it wasn't like that. It was like your face, it hurt. Have you ever had somebody shine a flashlight in your eyes? This is what I do to my family members every time I'm holding a flashlight, right? Like legit, ask them, I do it every time. It's like, stop, stop it, like it's uncomfortable. And so Moses' face was like that, so they said, wear a veil. And Moses started wearing a veil so that his face did not hurt them. Now, because of this shining, radiating glory, the Jews then got the idea that the law is great. And here's the thing. It's not. The law is good, not great. Okay? Say that with me. The law is good, not great. The law is good, not great. And in order to prove that, I offer this picture. Now, this is taken out at our fireplace in the south atrium here. You see, it's a sign. It's a law. It's a rule. And it says, please do not place food and beverages on the fireplace. Now, that shelf bench thing that it's sitting on is about four to six feet long. You'll notice the drink was not placed on the, it's placed right in front of the sign, right? The point is the law is powerless. The law doesn't lead to change. The law can't confirm, confer righteousness. The law is evidently very ineffective. It doesn't do anything. It does not produce. Here's what it does. The best it does is let you know when you're wrong. 
That's what the law does. It can't help you be right. Now, the Jews had the law, and the Jews never kept the law. If you're wondering about the Old Testament, I just summed it up for you. Let me say it again. The Jews had the law. The Jews never kept the law. There's the Old Testament. Boom, done. All right? The Jews learned that they could not live by the law. They could only die by the law. And before we feel all smug and look down on them, by the way, you've got the law and you don't keep it, do you? Not even close. Neither do I. Here's Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 15. It says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Raise your hand if you can relate. My hand's up. I can totally relate to that. That, that describes my life. The law doesn't help. Now, here's the crazy thing, though. And yet we still love the law. <laughs> we, we still love the law. Like, selfishly, I love the law because by the law, I can go, I can earn, and I can prove that I'm, I keep the law. Look how good a self-righteousness and ego and pride. I love the law. Oh, and then in relation to others, the law lets me judge people. And it lets me control people and boss people. I love the law. In fact, we love the law so much that we said, we're going to add to it. God's law isn't enough. We're going to add our own rules. And we go towards legalism. We love the law. We cling to the law. And Paul is going to say, that is the problem. That's the problem. Because the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And that's what he ended with in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. And I said it needs explained. I just gave you a bunch of Old Testament background. All of that was just my intro. I have not even begun my sermon yet. There it is. So here we are, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. He says, now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Seems clear, right? <laughs> what? 
was all that? Okay. Uh, this is a long way of saying the law is good, not great. The law is good, not great. <clears throat> and he says that he gives two basic reasons in there. The first one is that the law brings death, not life. Remember, the, the, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, in this passage, he gave more data. He referred to the law as a ministry of death. <laughs> that doesn't sound great. And then he calls it a ministry of condemnation. Again, not great, right? And then he calls it, uh, he says that it is carved with letters on stone. That was literally true, remember? Literally true. Okay, but it's also metaphoric because it's a really odd way for Paul to refer to the law. But he points out that it's on stone. Why? Again, metaphorically true. You know what's true about stone? It's dead. It's cold. It's lifeless. And it has no ability to impart life. Stone has never given life to anything. It's dead. Now, it's not that the law is bad. It's that we are. <laughs> it's that we're bad. And, and what the law does, the law's role is simply to point out that we need a savior. We need a savior. Someone who would help the helpless to rescue us from our hopelessness and our mess. But note this, the law is not the savior. The law is not the savior. It, it, it just highlights our sin, it, it does in no way save us from our separation from God. It condemns, it does not lead to restoration. The law doesn't do that. What the law does is it relays the bad news. You have spiritual cancer. Now, an accurate diagnosis is good. You need that. But you understand that's not the cure, right? Right? So, so the law gives you the diagnosis of our condemnation, but in no way imparts life. It doesn't heal anything. There's no cure in the law. Now, in light of this, by the way, I am surprised how many Christians waste time and energy fighting a cultural war to try to get the Ten Commandments posted in public spaces. Think about that. We got to post them in our schools. Here's what we're saying. What we really, really need to do is post the ministry of death in our schools because that'll help nothing. Nothing. That'll save no one. There's no cure in that. Now, I'm not against the Ten Commandments being posted here and there. Not at all. Don't misunderstand. But I am against the notion that the Ten Commandments will help or save anyone. The letter kills that's all it does. That's all it will ever do, right? It's not salvation. It is condemnation. It, it's not life. It's death. It won't fix anything. And so what Paul is asking us to do as followers of Jesus, he's saying, listen, you got to remember and you got to choose. It'll either be the stone or the spirit. Which is it? The stone or the spirit. The stone brings death. The spirit gives life. So, so the first thing he's saying is the law brings death, not life. Now, the second thing he's going to point out as far as why the law is good but not great is he's going to point out that the law has a temporary fading glory, not a permanent glory. 
And if you see back in our passage, he talks about things like uh, that it's the law's glory is being brought to an end. He says it has come to have no glory at all. It's emptied of its glory in comparison to something else. What is that? Well, he contrasts it then with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and grace and the gospel and all he's saying, the new covenant. And what he says about that is that it has even more glory surpassing glory, permanent glory, so much more glorious. What's interesting then is God lets us in on a little bit of a secret in this passage, one that I don't think humanity knew for a very, very long time. And it is this, that evidently Moses was wearing that veil far longer than he needed to because he did not want the Jews to know that the glory from his face was actually fading. But by wearing the veil, they never knew, right? It's what it says there at the end. He kept it from them. You see, Moses met with God face to face many times prior. He didn't come down all glowing. Right? That wasn't a thing. Now in Exodus 34 and 35, there was a unique engagement with God that yes, his face was glowing, but the Bible never says that his face continued to glow after that. Did you know that? It's just not in there. So why did Moses wear the veil? He wore it to hide the fact that the, it was a temporary fading glory. And I imagine as Moses put the veil on, nobody's gonna know. They're gonna know. This is playing in the background. How would they know? Okay, maybe not. I don't, I don't think that actually happened back in Old Testament times, okay? But here's what we do know. The new covenant far exceeds the old in glory. Far. The spirit exceeds the stone in glory. Grace exceeds condemnation in glory. Life exceeds death in glory. And Jesus far exceeds them all in glory. Not even close. In fact, two nights ago, we had a bonfire at my house. Finally, the rain stopped, right? We had some gorgeous weather. We were, there were six of us there. So obviously me and Shannon, but, uh, Caleb and his wife, new wife, Rachel, came in town from Indy, and so they were there. Madison is home from college for the summer. Her boyfriend, Xavier, came over, so all six of us. Xavier brought his ukulele on the spot, makes up a song about Shannon. We had a blast. It was hilarious. Good times. As we're sitting there, uh, Shannon said, Rick, Rick, do you see the moon? Do you guys see the moon over the last couple nights? I mean, finally, we have clear skies, and that thing was full and big and beautiful, right? Glorious, just absolutely glorious. Did you ever stare at the moon? Next question, you ever stare at the sun? Different experience, right? Different experience, why? Because you know what? The moon looks glorious until you put it next to the sun. And then you go, ooh, that's nothing. The moon only has reflected glory. The moon is tiny by comparison. The moon does not give life, the sun does. And so the moon only seems glorious until something more impressive comes along. And that's what happens with the law. The Jews thought the law was glorious, but now Jesus enters the room and it's like, oop, never mind. Never mind. The law is good, not great. Now, having nailed that, then, then the question becomes, well, then what is great? And the answer is grace. 
grace. So Paul talks about the ministry of condemnation, and then he contrasts that with the ministry of righteousness. Now, what's interesting is that the, the ministry of condemnation is the law. That's what the law gives you. So when it comes to righteousness, righteousness is not accomplished by the law. It's not by keeping the law. That's not it. These are different. So then the question becomes, how do you get the righteousness? And the answer is Jesus. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus did keeping the law himself, but also dying for your law breaking. And then his righteousness, if you are an adopted child of God, he, God takes the righteousness of Jesus off of him and plops it down on your life and you are covered by it. And that's how you get righteousness. It's imputed to you. It's credited to your account. You didn't earn it. Remember Romans chapter seven that we could all really relate to? Here, a couple verses later in verses 24 and 25, it says this. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks be to Jesus. And then that just sets up Romans chapter eight. Look at these first four verses of Romans eight and tell me if this is not like the perfect cross-reference to our passage this morning. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Notice the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us, but not through us, not by us. And so the thing is that, yes, grace is great. Jesus is great. The Holy Spirit is great. Life is grace is great. But, but listen, Jesus did it. We didn't do it. And so all glory goes to God. Praise be to God. And you can see how that happens then in the next couple verses of our passage this morning. So we're back to 2 Corinthians 3, and here it is in verse 14. And remember, he's he's been talking about the Israelites, the Jews. Here's what he says. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, quick side note. It says the Lord is the Spirit. I don't want anyone to be confused by this. This is certainly a reference to the full deity of the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is fully God. But what I don't want you to do is be confused that the Lord refers to Jesus. And so Jesus is the Spirit. I thought they were two separate persons of the Trinity. Here's the thing. Lord there, remember Moses is referring back to Exodus 34 and 35, where Lord is Yahweh. 
the one true God. And so the God is the spirit and the spirit is God. That's what's being said right there. Now, I don't want to get too off on that rabbit trail. If you want to understand more about that, we did a series last summer, June of 22, uh, called Creed. The middle sermon is about the Holy Spirit. You can go watch that and, and soak that in a little bit more, okay? For now, I want to keep moving because that's not the main point. The main point here is what? If we focus on the law, it becomes a veil that blinds us to Jesus, which is why the gospel is so veiled to the Jews, most of the Jews, not all, but to most of the Jews today because they are stuck on the old covenant. But the old covenant, the only role of it is to give you the diagnosis, not the cure. It's only supposed to point forward to their Messiah. But most Jews have rejected Jesus as Messiah. So the veil remains over their eyes and they are stuck with a ministry of death. Now again, we can look down on the Jews or we can go, time out, that's kind of like us too, isn't it? Listen, all moralism, all religion, including Christian religion, all of it is, is just a ministry of death. That's all it is. Now, uh, to be fair, some have turned their back on God in abject rejection of him, rebellion against them. But most people are trying to be okay with God through some rule keeping, some religion, some religious law, works, legalism, law. And they can't see through it to the new glory, to the greater glory that is Jesus himself. So what we do then is we double down on the law. We white knuckle it. We try harder. You're doing it and you know it. And we're convinced. Look, it's the definition of insanity, right? Keep doing the same things, expect different results. We're just convinced that maybe I just didn't try the law hard enough. This time I'll try harder and I'll be better. No, you won't. That's not your hope. That's nobody's hope. The problem is not that you didn't try hard enough. The problem is that you're trusting the law to be your savior and it's not. That's the old covenant, the fading glory. It's only supposed to point to something else. So so think of this. Think of the most awe-inspiring natural wonder you've ever seen in person. Maybe you've been out to the Grand Canyon maybe a mountainscape or uh, you're staying on the beach, whatever, like, but is that just amazingly glorious and beautiful? Could you imagine if you stood at the edge and before you open your eyes, they forced you to wear a veil and you never got to see that? I mean, it's right there, but you just never get to see it. And that would be a tragedy and that is what is going on with the law. It's the glory is right in front of you. There's Jesus, there's this gospel, but the law is blocking it. And that might be your Christian, uh, and by that I mean Christian in air quotes, like your, your neighbor who is involved in Christian religion, that might be them. And that is why we are on mission this year to tell people of a greater glory, a permanent glory, the gospel, Jesus, grace, it's amazing. Yeah, it might be your neighbor, but you know what? It also might be you. Um, Maybe it's you. 
veiled by Christian religion, trying harder to impress God and please God. Meanwhile, you're going, this Christianity stuff just doesn't feel that great. I don't think this Christianity stuff is that great. And you're, you know what? You're right. It's not. Jesus is great. Jesus is amazing. Christian religion, not so much. Think of trying to have a conversation with somebody and a veil is put over your face. So you can't read facial expressions. You can't, the the communication is muffled somewhat. It's harder to understand. You can't engage face to face. You need to get rid of the veil. And there is God wanting relationship with us and saying, I don't want a veil. I want to rip that out of the way. And I want to have face to face relationship with you. Let me rip the veil off. And if you let God rip the veil off, you know what you get? You get freedom. It says that there at the end. Now, I'll come back to that in just a second because I want you to catch the way you get that. The solution is not law. It's not religion, but it is turn to the Lord. Do you see that in there? It says, but when one turns to the Lord. That's where you have a life transforming relationship and connection and encounter with Jesus. It's religion, not relationship. And that's what you need. And when you allow him to rip that veil off, then look at that word, last word, you get freedom. Freedom. Now, what's that mean? Does that mean you are free to do whatever you want? You got your get out of hell free card. And so now I can just go bonkers. Is that what it means? Well, listen, sin was the problem. Sin is not the solution and sin is not the goal. Not at all. You were not freed to sin. You were freed from sin, right? So now though, the motivation changes. I'm I'm now trying to walk with Jesus, not out of fear, but out of love. Um, I've moved from law to grace. I've moved from insecurity before God to security as his child. And I've moved from condemnation to restoration. That's redemption. And then what happens is I realize that I don't have to pretend anymore. Do you know how much energy we as Christians waste on trying to pretend we're better than we are? Because none of you keep the law. I don't either. But we don't want to admit it to each other, so we try to hide it. That's not freedom. That's slavery. But if I move into this, then I don't have to be a poser because my security does not depend upon my performance. My security before God depends on what Jesus did on my behalf. That I'm in him. That's where my security comes. It's Jesus, it's grace, it's what he did for me. Now I can live out in the open with all my imperfections wildly on display. That is strength through weakness. God is strong. I am simply weak. And now I can live free in that. And that freedom is true strength. Strength through weakness. That's what we're all about. And that is freedom. So I can do whatever I want. Well, again, no, 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 that's not it. In fact, to tie that off, here's the next verse. Verse 18 says this. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. 
So yeah, there's transformation and growth, but notice the law never leads to growth. We buy that law, all, that lie all the time. But listen, the law does not lead to growth. Jesus does. Grace does. Freedom does. Security in Christ, that does. But you know what? The, it's progressive. It's over time, which means we're making mistakes as we go. So that means it's messy. And we don't like messy. We particularly don't like messy in others. So you know what we want to run back to? Law. Just give me the law. See, turning, turning to Jesus doesn't mean that you get to act like a sailor on shore leave. Okay, that's not what it means. And here's why. Because when the veil is ripped off, do you know who you see? See, Jesus. You see, Jesus, and John Piper had a great line. He said this, you become what you behold. You become what you behold. And if Jesus, you, that veil's ripped off and you're looking at Jesus, you become what you behold. Now, granted, it, it's progressive. It takes time in a fallen world and there is mess along the way. But the motive again has shifted from fear to love. But I gotta be honest. If you don't want to be much like Jesus, if you want to get out a hell free card to do whatever the heck you want, then it is quite possible that you have not had the veil removed. You do not have the Holy Spirit within you. You do not belong to Jesus. You are not under grace. You might not see Jesus because you become what you behold. See that? Look, the stone of the law will never lead to growth. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Why? Because with the Holy Spirit, it's gone from external. The law is external. It's outside of me. It can't motivate me. It can't give righteousness. It's out there. God puts his Holy Spirit within us as Christian believers. Now it's not outside in, it's inside out. That's a big difference. And by the way, that was his plan all along. I'm gonna show you two passages from the Old Testament. Look at this, Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That was the plan. Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. So God's saying later on, here's what's coming down the road. Here it is declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That was the plan all along. The stone was never the plan. It was only the preparation. The stone was never the plan. It was only the preparation. And so we've got to choose. Do you want stone or do you want spirit? One gives death, one gives life. Which one do you want? All of this can be summed up by one of our church's values. We have these value statements. You can find all of them on our website, but one is crystal clear this morning. It says that we expect progressive transformation. And here's how that reads. God has enough compassion to accept you just the way you are, but also has enough compassion to not leave you like that. We don't expect perfection, but when a repentant rebel is invaded by the Holy Spirit, we expect the Lordship of Jesus to bring progressive transformation, freedom, and growth. 
Sounds almost like we read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, right? And that's what we need. That's what we want. You're going to have to choose stone or the spirit. Listen, the stone will lead you to fear, law, fake, works, religion. The stone will never get you anything you want. But the spirit, you turn to Jesus, you encounter Jesus, you let him rip that veil out of the way and an avalanche of grace starts to cover your life and his righteousness is transferred onto you. Now you're secure. You don't have to be fake anymore and you look at Jesus and you love Jesus and you're in awe of Jesus because why? Because you become what you behold. You get that? Let me pray for you. Father, I don't need to pray for them. I need to pray for me. I need to pray for us. Lord God, uh, thank you so, so very much that the, the stone was never the plan. It was just the preparation. Thank you that the new covenant has invalidated the old, that has replaced it and emptied it of glory in, in the beauty of the new covenant of grace and the gospel in Jesus. Thank you. But then we got to be honest before you. Lord God, we have a, a proclivity toward law. It's running back to it, trying to earn and not being free. Not just beholding our Lord and being in awe, of, in awe of him and becoming like him. So Father God, will you shift our hearts? Will you take that lump of stone out of our hearts and replace it with a heart of flesh? And I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.